Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we want to talk about cantering out on the trail. This is something everybody seems to want to do, but I know there are some safety concerns and some things you need to make sure you and your horse are prepared to do before you canter out in the open. Yeah, uh, of course, you know, cantering, whether you're in the confinement of an arena or uh, out in your pasture near the barn or out on a trail, it's, it's sort of like the ultimate gate and the ultimate in excitement and fun. And it's, it's, kind of epitomizes the, the thrill of riding horses, the you know, wind blowing through your, in your face and the mane blowing in front of your eyes. and um, So that everybody wants to do it, but on the other hand, part of what makes it thrilling and exhilarating is that it's, it's kind of a little bit on the riskier side. So walking down a trail is much safer than cantering down the trail. Walking in an sure. arena is much safer than scattering in an arena. So um, it's a lot of fun and everyone wants to do it. We just want to be careful and uh, make sure you use um, good, safe um, procedures when you're cantering out on the trail and, and you have an agreed upon format and, and of course where you're going. Make sure that's safe. Right. And and what might not make it safe? There is, is your footing the major concern or how the horse might behave? What's your top safety concern? Of course, the footing is is a deal breaker. So that's the number one deal breaker. So you can't, um, you know, heck, I live in the Rocky Mountains. Um, there's very little level ground here. And as I always say, there's a reason why they call it the Rocky Mountains. Um, there, there's not very many places where you could possibly canter out on the trail right. without your horse tripping and falling or hurting himself. So um, you could only ask your horse to do that safely when the fitting is adequate. Now, it doesn't have to be level, but it does need to, the, the footing needs to be soft and consistent and um, you know, not muddy, muddy or slippery or, or, you know, sucking their feet down. And um, it needs to be uh, not have trip hazards in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it needs to be open enough and a long enough distance that the horse can actually get up into a canter and, and go along a ways before you have to immediately pull him back down again. So, sure. Um, and you know some places where you trail ride. This is this is a very diverse country when it comes to trail riding, and there are some places where probably the whole trail ride you would you could. would have adequate footing. And then there's um, trails up here where you could go for 20 miles and never have adequate footing mm-hmm. to counter. So and something so first here, and foremost, yeah. I was just going to say something here. We have to think about is. If you see a wide open pasture, that could also be a place where there are a lot of prairie dogs or somewhere there's going to be a lot of holes. So just because it's open and flat doesn't mean that you know what the ground's like beneath that either. Yeah, and you know, that's a good point because without even thinking about it, to me, I would presume that if you were cantering, it's because you knew the area and um, you had been down that path before and you were aware of the fitting. So 
you know, of course, when you trail, when you guide trail rides, you know exactly, as do the horses, sure. you know exactly where the canter places stop and start. And um, so, yeah, to be cantering blindly in, in the woods or around the corner or, you know, out in the open um, is, is, could be a foolish risk. Okay, so we know you need to make sure you're in control when you're at the canter. Do you recommend that people ride in an arena first? Well, you know, I'm going to give you two totally opposite answers to that. First of all, um, let's talk about the horse. Um, yes, if you cannot control your horse at the canter in an easy or and or confined place, and by easy I mean let's say right outside the barn in an arena with his friends um, and in, 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 excuse me, and in confinement. Um, if you can't control your horse in the canter there, it's highly unlikely you're going to control him out in the open. So it's harder to control a horse out in the open than it is in confinement. So, um, so that's, that's an important yardstick. But, Number two, one of the hardest places to get a horse to canter is in an arena <laughs> in confinement, especially if it's not very big. Because a horse, I'm, I'm looking out here at my outdoor arena is right outside my window, and it's um, 180 feet long. And you could be more than halfway down this arena before you even got your horse into the canter. And if at that moment he's looking at the fence coming up in front of him mm -hmm. fast, he doesn't want to canter. So um, for a lot of reasons, it can be difficult to get a horse into a canter in a confined space. So um, if, I, if I know the horse, if I, for instance, when uh, I used to do clinics here at my ranch with my own school horses, I knew the horses knew how to canter with a rider and that that part was going to be fine. We had, our favorite thing to do was when you had a rider that was either so afraid of the canter that she couldn't bring herself to do it, or a rider that was really wanting to learn how to ride the canter but didn't have the assertiveness to get the horse into the canter, then we had this long stretch of sandy road that was a slight uphill and we would put that rider, and, you know, we'd tell them about it in advance, put that rider in the middle of the group, we get, you know, a horse on each side mm -hmm. of you, one in front of you, one behind you, and kind of one of those deals on the count of three, okay, you ready, let's all canter. And then we'd all cue the horses up in the canter. Well, that horse in the middle is going to canter because all the other horses Everybody are. Everybody else, right. Yeah, and the rider is, is feels relaxed because she's surrounded by other horses and riders, so it's a great way to kind of set horses up for uh, set riders up for success. But um, so I, I'm not saying that you should never counter out in the open if you have it in the area of confinement. But if you're riding a green horse or a horse that you have any question at all about, uh, you should try it in, in a confined arena. Um, before and have a and have a great deal of comfort level there before you right. try it out on the trail. 
Now, we had a gal on the show, I guess it's been a couple of years ago now, um, and she had this paint horse who would do what she asked in the arena. She didn't, she didn't ride a lot in the arena. She wanted to ride out on the trail, but I think the horse had had some experience there. And, and she felt all right in the arena, and the horse did okay. He was pretty speedy, but did okay in the arena. But when he got out on the trail, he just wanted to street, see a straight line and, and just go and go and go. So what would you suggest with a horse like that? Well, you know, that, um, it, that horse had a lot of go, and it only had, you know, kind of one speed, you know, slow or uh, nine-o. <laughs> and so, you know, as soon as you cue the canter, all that horse knew how to do was was gallop hard. Done it, <laughs> yeah. And so, but the training, so the horse needed more training. And, and for a horse like that, uh, rarely do you have a young horse that is so easy that from the very first day you ask it to canter, it actually canters. Most horses gallop the first, when you first start cantering, and it takes some time and a, and a certain amount of training to get that horse to learn how to uh, actually canter, which is a slow, controlled gallop. And that's not something that's natural to a horse. We, we teach him to do that. And, and depending on the horse, that can take a lot of time. You know, some horses are naturals from the beginning. Other horses going to take, you know, more than a year to to really get their gait slowed down adequately. So this was a horse that was very forward. And then the, the training situation was that she didn't ride in an arena. She didn't have an arena. She wasn't going to go to an arena. She didn't ride in an mm -hmm. arena. So what training was going to occur was going to occur out on the trail. And that's fine if that's the circumstance you have, but you need the tools. So for her, we had to give her the tools to do that. And Going fast on a horse in safe terrain is not a problem as long as you know how to stop the horse. And so if you, what we focused on with her was teaching her the pulley rein so that she could, when she asked the horse to canter, she could have that rein aid set mm -hmm. up, which is the emergency stopping rein, so that she could apply brakes periodically as needed, uh, you know, like you do driving on a mountain path, coming downhill, you come, there's a hard corner coming up, you got to hit the brakes and slow down. So you could use your pulley rein to both control speed and to uh, stop a horse no matter how fast or strong he gets. And now let's stop and look at that for a little bit. So you've taught the pulley rein before as an actual stop, stop a horse on a dime. So what's different here? What are you doing with your hands and your body that you're just slowing but not stopping the horse altogether? So uh, there's, there's a lot of instances, most of them involving big, strong, forward-moving horses that you're riding out in the open at a gallop. Um, because those horses tend to be big and strong and forward, you're sort of on the verge of a runaway at all sure. times. And so uh, and it's just a big, strong horse, so you need more leverage on him. And um, so you ride in a setup where you have one, one rein very short and braced against the neck, 
and then you're applying um, like an old-fashioned emergency brake on a wagon or something that have the leverage that you pull that stick back. Right, pull the um, stick. Uh-huh. That's the, yeah, that's the pulley range. So you pull that stick back and you feel that horse gather up and slow down and come under himself and then you release that stick and you might go a few strides before you feel like him get, feel him get strong again and you pull back and sit back, that other rein's braced and locked. So you apply leverage to slow the horse down for a stride or two or three, and then you softly release that. So you're kind of riding that brake, so to speak, um, constantly as you gallop. So that's how you maintain control as you gallop. Right, and here for this, for the body of this, we're assuming you already know how to get your horse into the canter. You just want to make sure you're doing it in a safe place and, and control it once you get it going. So so you're riding in that position where, tell me exactly where your hands are. So I'm not going to say right or left because you could do it either, either way. way. Um, so with two hands on the rein and your hands in the normal rein position, which is uh, in both hands in front of the pommel, um, you're going to grab the tail with one hand as you slide the other hand down the rein to shorten it. As you pick that rein up, you're going to brace it square over the crest of the horse's neck and lower that down into the notch just above his withers. Mm-hmm. And so now that rein is very tight. Then you're going to, holding that, you're, with that thumb, you're going to grab the tail of the other rein, slide your other hand down to shorten the other rein, and that's your leverage. That's your brake, braking lever that you're going to pull and release and kind of pull and release. Um, sometimes even riders as they're galloping along will give a little pull every stride to keep the horse in check. And um, so that that is in the case of a horse that, that you're cantering out in the wide open that has a tendency to get strong on you. And that's a natural tendency of horses. So if your horse is already a forward-moving horse, meaning that he's got lots of go, and now you're out in the wide open and asking for him to go as fast as he can go, essentially, when you ask for the canter, um, those horses will get stronger on you out in the open than they would in an area of confinement. And so we use this pulley rein as a leverage device to keep control of that forward-moving horse. Now, if you've got the opposite of that, let's say I've got, what I fondly refer to as a big, fat, lazy quarter horse that uh, we love having around right. our barns. You know, you just throw the reins away and they put their old head down and they do a nice slow pony lope as long mm-hmm. as you want. That horse I would never use. I, in a million years, I would, there would be no circumstance under which I would ever use that rein aid at a canter or any other gate on on that type of horse. So this is not a solution for everybody. This is just something that you would use on a forward horse. Right, right. That makes sense. But it's good to know the emergency stop. If you are cantering horses out in the open, you should know how to use the pulley rein because um, anything can happen. A a gun goes off, somebody screams, a leaf blower, whatever. Anything can happen, and you're already cantering 
So to trigger the horse's flight response doesn't take a lot when you're already galloping out in the open. Even so, for those slow poke quarter horses, right? Sure. What about cantering in a group? Is it different if all the other horses are cantering? What do you need to know to be safe if you're cantering in a group? First of all, if there's more than one horse, it's a group. <laughs> Even if there's only two horses, before any cantering occurs, there should be communication between the horses and the riders, and everybody should feel okay about it. If one right. rider is not okay about it, then you don't canter. Um, and the larger the group, the more the horse's instinctive behavior is going to come into play. And so a group of, you know, 10, 15, 20 horses is starting right. to look like a stamp, starting to look like a stampede. So um, we want to definitely have some parameters, have some rules. Uh, the communication is paramount, um, making sure you always ride to the, the speed of the lowest level rider. So you, if, not, if everyone is not capable, you can't really do it. So um, getting the horses strung out and spread out is a recipe for problems. So we want to keep that line as tight as possible, um, you know, so let's say if I was going out with a group of friends and I knew, I know, you know, once we get about a, a mile or so up the trail, there's going to be a nice, long, sandy stretch um, that's good for cantering. I want to make sure before I get there, we've gathered everybody up so we're close together. I've said, hey, uh, we're coming to this place where we're going to canter. Everybody feel pretty good about it. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, are you ready to start now? Let's go. Okay, and then, um, you know, we have an agreed-upon signal, whether that's a hand signal or a voice signal when we're going to slow back down to a walk. So um, as long as there's control and parameters and people aren't just taken off at random times and, um, and or leaving someone behind, then, and just always remember, is the rider or the horse that's left behind that has the problem? Right. Not, not the one that's running ahead, having a great time laughing with the wind blowing through her hair. So, um, you know, always take care of that, that, not letting the group get strung out behind you. And that speaks to the instincts of the horse, right? They don't want to be left behind first, especially if there's speed. Right, the greatest, their greatest fear is to get left behind. And, uh, and so um, keeping the group together means everybody's going to move, kind of moderate the same speed, and it's easy to know if someone's having trouble and um, somebody is in front and nobody goes in front of that horse and somebody's designated to be the last horse and nobody goes behind that horse. So, so those are some of the basic rules for cantering on the trail. That sounds good. Well, I think, you know, just like everything you've talked about, making sure you know your horse, and especially if you're in a group, just making sure your horse is tuned into you and not paying attention to all the other horses and getting into wild stampede range, and you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> good. All right. That's a lot of good tips, Julie. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. 
I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. I know your sizing is a little bit interesting. Tell me how you decided to do sizing this way and, and what the sizing process is. All right. Well, when we first started the website and I was working on my sizing page, Eric and I had several discussions how we were going to approach this because industry sizing is all over the place. For instance, I wear a 4 in a Q-Baby and I wear a 10 in another dial wow. of riding jeans. So I, that just wasn't going to work for me. So because of the industry sizing and because I just wanted to be creative, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative person, I decided to give them breed names. For instance, my smallest size of jean is an Arabian, mm-hmm. and my largest size of jean is a Nakota. Now, we have, a, 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 we have plus sizes, and um, for instance, the Appaloosa is the, the largest jean in the regular size, and then there's a okay. slight pattern break, and the Morgan is the smallest of our plus sizes. Basically, you go to the sizing page, and you put your feet together, and you take your measurements, and if you give me two numbers, if you gave me your waist and your hip, I could tell you what size of jean from the sizing page to choose and it's working really really well and that people are loving absolutely loving the breed names it's kind of exciting and different and new and fun right well it helps you find the real measurement rather than trying to fit into something that may or may not be your actual digit anymore (laughs) right right it just doesn't work when somebody says oh i you know i wear a size this I wear in this jean, this other style jean, that, that doesn't work for me. And when I'm, it's my job, my main job is to fit the first wave. And that brings me to my Colt special. But that's my job is I send two jeans and I want those jeans, one of those jeans to fit for them and for me. Otherwise, it's just too much back and forth. And now, tell us a little I, more about that. How does that, how do, how do you send that? How do you decide what you're going to send? And then how does that process work with people choosing the best one? Okay, so um, on the website, it's explained um, very clearly what I call is my cult special, C-O-L-T, cult. Mm-hmm. And you put that word anywhere on your order, and I know what it is that you want. Even if you've kind of messed your order up, I'll fix it. So you go to the sizing page and you, you get your two numbers and you choose two breed size sizes that you'll think will work for you. And I and then you make your order and you put your colt in the order notes. All you do is say colt. And I provide a resealable bag and a prepaid shipping label. And I ship you I ship you the two pairs of jeans and a successful colt is one you love and you keep and it fits, mm. and then you just pop the other in the resealable bag using the label that I have provided that's already paid for, and you ship it back, and I don't charge for the gene until you tell me you want to keep one. And, boy, it's, it's working great. You know, Good. those gals, if they have any questions, they call me, um, and if we miss, we just switch it out. And But 95% of the time... Uh, the cult special it's just it's it's working it's working for everybody good very good well i think that just takes into consideration real riders real body shapes and trying to find what's really right for you and what's going to be the most comfortable once you're riding once you're up in the saddle thanks for listening to julie goodnight's horse master academy podcast presented by smooth stride riding jeans Check out SmoothStride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. 
Also, be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn.